Would you turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3. And I'm going to begin with Jerry's text last week, and I'm incredibly grateful for Jerry for covering down not just one Sunday, but two in a row uh, while I was away. It was a a, um, comfort to know that he was preaching and we could relax while we were down south. But I'm going to begin with his text so that we have the context of what we're going to look at today. So we're going to start in chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 4. First John chapter 3, verse 4, the apostle writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. And whoever practices sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. And by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we shouldn't love each one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. What characterizes the Christian life. When I think about how we are to live as the church, I think about Acts chapter 2, the end of the chapter, 
those verses before chapter 3, when we read that the early church had all things in common, that they praised God, they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, and they were selling their possessions and meeting the needs of each other. We read that they were devoted to fellowship, that they had all things in common, and that they shared meals together daily. We generally come together one hour a week, maybe two. If you're a part of a small group, maybe three or four. But in the early church, every day, together, breaking bread. They were not inconvenienced by each other, but they desired from the heart to be together and to serve one another. The apostolic church, they praised God, they devoted themselves to sound teaching, and they loved one another. We're going to come back to those three things later, but for right now, we're going to focus in in our text on the last. They loved one another. The church sold their possessions to meet each other's needs. They received their food with a glad and generous heart, and they truly loved one another. You see, the Christian life from the beginning has been characterized by love. The Christian life is not self-service, serving, but the Christian life is selfless. So this morning, as we look at the text, I want you to examine your heart and ask yourself, who in the church are you holding a grudge against? Which one of your brothers and sisters are you mad at or frustrated at? Are you refusing to forgive? Are you harsh with those whom you disagree? Or do you desire the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Today we'll look and see in the scriptures that love characterizes the Christian life. Just as a genuine Christian does not continue in sin, but pursues righteousness, a genuine Christian loves the church and does not hate her. He desires to be with her and to love his brothers and sisters in Christ because of the new heart that he has received. Jesus states that our love for one another is what would mark us out as his disciples. Now, as you, you know me, I, you know that I am an advocate for sound doctrine. I'm an advocate for deeper theology. I think as the Western church, we need to know more about God, not less. But notice Jesus didn't say you will be known for your good theology. He says, when people see you, they'll know you're one of mine because you love one another because you desire the good of one another. John is writing to the church in the wake of false teachers. John writes this letter to remind the church of basic Christianity, the foundations of the faith. He makes clear who has assurance of faith, who has eternal life, and who does not. Last week, Jerry explained that true Christians do not continue to practice sin. He reminded us that we have an obligation to walk worthy of the new life that we have received from Christ. He reminded us that we are to pursue holiness because of what Christ has done for us, not to earn his favor. In last week's text, John describes the devil as the one who has been sinning from the beginning. You read last week that no one makes a practice of sinning, no one who does that, belongs to God. 
but they are children of the devil. Our conduct, the, the outpouring of our heart shows who we belong to. Do you belong to God or do you belong to the devil? Unlike the one who keeps on sinning and belongs to the devil, the one who has received new life walks worthy of that new life. Listen to this quote from John Stott in his book, Basic Christianity. Christianity is not just about what we believe, it's also about how we behave. We must commit ourselves heart and mind, soul and will, home and life, personally and unreservedly to Jesus Christ. We must humble ourselves before him. We must trust him as our Savior and submit to him as our Lord. And then go on to take our place as loyal members of the church and responsible citizens in the Christian community. This quote summarizes the message of 1 John. John is refuting those who say, I can walk in darkness, yet claim to have the light. No, those who have received a new heart walk in the light, not in the darkness. And in today's text, John provides the church with two timeless characteristics of the world and of the church. First, hatred characterizes the world, and love characterizes the church. Hatred characterizes the world, and love characterizes the church. Now, before we jump into the text, we have to define terms. And I kind of hate that we have to define terms. I kind of hate that we can't just say love and everyone knows what I'm talking about. But in our world, in our day, in our society, things have been corrupted, so we kind of need to define these terms so that we don't talk past one another as we go through this text. For our purposes today, hate will be desiring another's harm or downfall. It's not just some sort of fiery rage, but it's desiring someone's downfall. Love. When I talk about love, I'm not referring to the Hallmark-style warm sentimentality that we sometimes see on TV, but a genuine care for others. Biblical love is desiring another's good, wanting them to be in right standing with God and to grow in their walk with Christ. Christian love flows from and is reflected by God's love. We cannot affirm sin and say we love someone. We need to say that today in 2022. We cannot affirm someone's sin and say we love them, but we care for them in the same way and it's a family-type love. In the same way that I do not want one of my brothers and sisters biologically to be addicted to heroin, it's the same kind of love we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do not affirm that which will kill them. And the gospel does not change. From the beginning, the church has heard that they must love one another, unlike the world. Love characterizes the Christian life, and hatred characterizes the world. Look with me at verses 11 through 14. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. So in this passage, we see two different prototypes. We see Christ as the prototype of love, but John shows us Cain is the prototype of hate. You remember the Old Testament story. Cain is jealous of his brother. He's jealous of his brother's offering, his righteousness. Cain was not righteous, and what does he do? He kills his brother. Cain resents Abel. He envies Abel. Cain's deeds were evil, whereas Abel was righteous. And John says, just as Cain hated Abel, we should not be surprised when the world hates us. Don't be surprised. It's nothing new. It's been going on since Genesis. Cain hated Abel because of his righteousness. I remember when Sarah and I were new Christians. If I have not met you, my wife and I were not raised Christians. We were saved and baptized at 30. And when we went into a, the church where we started to be discipled uh, as new baby Christians, we actually got to hang out with the pastor and his wife while we were in Kansas and um, just be encouraged by them anew. Uh, but they, we used to think that they were judging us by their lifestyle. I was fresh out of the army. I was still in the army. Um, and we did not grow up in a Christian home. And just by the way they lived, we felt judged by them. They never judged us. But that's the way the world will see. And what does John say? John does not say, hey, try to be less holy. That way you can make inroads to the world. Try to come across less righteous. Don't pursue holiness so much. That way the world will like you more and maybe they'll come to Christ. But he says, don't be surprised. As you pursue holiness, as you pursue righteousness, as you have your thoughts conformed to the Bible, don't be surprised when those around you hate you, just as Cain hated Abel. Cain was jealous of Abel, and that jealousy gave way to hatred, and that hatred gave way to murder. And Christ said that Satan has been murdering from the beginning. And Cain is the prototype of that hatred. Look with me at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. We see that the heart posture that hates manifests itself in murder. And before you breathe a sigh of relief, before you say, well, good, I'd have never killed anyone, remember what Christ says about hatred. That if we hate someone in our heart, we're already guilty of what? Murder. We're guilty of murder. Just as Cain's selfishness and unrighteousness led to murder, so will yours, friend. Do not let hatred grow in your heart. Do not let anger grow in your heart. While relationships will never be perfect this side of eternity, the one who is continually harsh towards his brothers and sisters in Christ, the one who gossips, the one who slanders, a friend in Kansas City said, a person who gossips about you is like a person that hits you while you're blindfolded. When you gossip and you think it's not a big deal about your brother and sister in Christ, you prove your lovelessness. When we are selfish, when we continue to lobby for my rights, this morning as we were talking about biblical manhood and womanhood, we talked about marriage and how marriage never works when we continue to lobby for our rights. It's the same way in the church. 
when we are loveless towards other Christians, we show the true condition of our hearts. The one who does not love abides in death. Look with me at the end of verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The heart posture that hates and is angry at your brother and sister in Christ shows a heart posture of death. It's evidence of spiritual death. Christ says that his disciples will be known for their love for one another. So if you do not love your brothers and sisters in Christ, what does that say about your heart? And what does that say about your eternal destination? No murderer has eternal life in him, says John. The one who despises our brother and sister does not give evidence of new life, but of death. So friend, ask yourself this morning, do you find yourself fantasizing about another's downfall? You know, in our ministry context, we talk a lot about false teaching. But I wonder, do we pray for those false teachers? Do we desire them to repent of that and turn back to biblical Christianity? Or have we gotten so used to being annoyed by it and talking about it that we actually hate and desire their downfall? Do you relish discernment blogs that run down Christians you disagree with? I saw it this week in a Southern Baptist pastor's group where they called a candidate for the presidency this summer that they don't like a clown. Friend, is that your heart posture? Because if it is, beware. Check your heart. The Bible does not allow for that. Do you pray that God would grant these people the same grace and repentance that you have received? Because if you do not, you need to go home today and read Matthew 18. We who have been forgiven a lifetime of sin against a perfect and a holy creator of the universe, then turn and deny that same grace to others. Selfishness, envy, anger characterizes the world, whereas love characterizes the church. Look with me at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Friends, true Christian love is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. I was reading in a commentary by James Montgomery Boyce this week in preparation for the sermon, and he tells a story about a, uh, a German pastor uh, in the 50s and 60s. His name is Walter, I'm going to butcher this really bad, uh, Walter Trobisch, I think is how you say it. But this man is a missionary to Africa, and he, he, he published this book called I Loved a Girl. And the idea of this book is it's the letters of him corresponding with a young African Christian couple who are in love. And in the book, he recounts the story of this, what the male of the relationship sends a letter to the pastor and tells about a girl he had gone to bed with. And he tells the pastor, I loved a girl. That's his quote. I, that's what the book is named after that statement. And the pastor informs the young man that he had not loved her because love is sacrificial. It's the opposite to love, to say, I cannot wait, give me what I want now. 
This pastor states, to love a girl would be to put her first. To lay aside my comforts, to lay aside my wants, and to put her first. To love a girl would be to say to her, I will guard you, I will protect you, I will stand beside you, I will sacrifice for you. That is what it means to love a girl. You see, it's one thing to say you love someone, and it's another to mean it. And true love, whether it be marriage or the church, is faithful and selfless, both on the summer days and in those bitter winter nights. You know, when I think about the summer days and the winter nights, I think about when I was a soldier. Where's Josh Titus? It's your military illustration. Uh, when I was at First Infantry Division, it was easy to be a soldier on a spring day where you had a big parade and you got in your dress uniform and it was still cool, it wasn't hot yet, and all the wives and kids were dressed up and there was the big brass bands and they shot the cannons and the general told all the stories about the heritage of the First Infantry Division and yeah, man, it was easy to be a soldier then. But it's a lot harder to be a soldier when you don't have shoes and it's winter and you're at the Battle of the Bulge, and you haven't eaten in four days, and you're running low on ammo. It's a lot harder there. But we are called to be faithful and selfless when it is easy and when it is hard. And the truest picture we have of that love is Jesus Christ. Christ selflessly took his, our sin, not his sin, he selflessly took our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin. He didn't lobby for his rights, but he loved us to the point of death on a cross. He was God in the flesh, never sinned. Sin never had a landing pad in his heart. He never even considering sin, and yet he took my sin. The only one who has never sinned was nailed to a tree to save all of us who trust in him. The clearest picture of selfless love we have in the scriptures. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children and to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Father. That is the example before us, friends. That is the example we strive for of selfless love. We are called to lay down our lives for one another just as Christ died for us. This love says, I am committed to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ, even when it's hard, even when I have to sacrifice. Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Evidently, this was the talk of small group. I thought of that when you mentioned it this morning. How do we see our brothers and sisters in need and close our hearts against them? You see, few of us are ever going to be called to actually lay down our physical lives for another. Maybe. But do you see a brother and sister in need and you can help them and don't? Because John says the true Christian will help them. How do you close your heart against another one of God's children? If you're selfish with what God has blessed you with and choose not to help your fellow Christian, John says, 
how does the love of God abide in you? Especially when we don't really own anything anyhow. It all belongs to God. I don't own a thing. I'm just borrowing it. My clothes, my car, the little bit of money I have in the bank, even my Bible I read every day, every single bit, every molecule, every single thing in this universe belongs to God. I have an uncle who's a backwoods southern pastor, and I remember an illustration from when I was just a boy at church with my grandparents, and he talks about this scientist who is arguing with God. It's one of these silly illustrations, right? And it, but it's kind of like Job, right, where Job is arguing with God, and he, God says, like, can you, you know, wrestle Leviathan or whatever he says. Well, God's arguing with the scientist, and, the sci- and God says to him, says, all right, well, all right, you're, you can do what I do. You've got everything figured out. Can you make man? Scientist says, yeah, I can make a man. Who said that? Come on, man. Yeah. So the, Spoiler over here. So <laughs> the scientist goes over and gets dirt, right? He gets this lump of dirt, and he starts to make a man, and God says, no, 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 no. You get your own. Because every molecule in this universe belongs to God. So how do we hoard it for ourselves? Do you resemble the hypocrites in the story of the Good Samaritan who walk around those in need rather than help? Are you the one who's comfortable with his brother in peril and does not have the love of God in his heart? John argues that your lovelessness reveals the condition of your heart because true biblical love is evidence of eternal life. Remember that one of the themes of 1 John that we've talked about and we have uh, talked about a lot is how can I have assurance of salvation, assurance that I have eternal life. These false teachers had said, well, you can walk in sin, you can walk in darkness, and you can still have God, you can still have assurance, and John refutes that. John says you can't live in disobedience to God and be his child. You can't be the one that says, it's okay, man, we can go to the party, we can drink way too much, we can do immoral stuff, we'll repent in the morning. And lovelessness is an example of that disobedience. Look with me at verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John reminds the church throughout that it's not enough to talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. It's not enough to just say that you are in the light. You have to show that you're in the light by living a life in keeping with repentance. In a day when love goes under the skies of flowery public Facebook message and telling someone how wonderful they are, we should remember that we are also called to put actions behind those words. Now, the leadership team at Whitecliff Church will tell you that I regularly remind them that flattery is of no advantage with me. Don't shower me with flowery words. I tell them, you want to show me that you support me and that you love me and you care for me? Let's open our Bibles. Let's stand shoulder to shoulder and let's fight the good fight. Put actions behind those words. Now, that is not to say, I want to be clear before I get an email, that words of encouragement are of no use. The Bible says that we should encourage one another. We should encourage one another with words. They are certainly of use. But at the same time, 
we should not look for people to tickle our ears. I'm not looking for anyone to tickle my ears. I'm looking for brothers and sisters in Christ who love Christ and will walk through the fire with me. And John says, don't merely love in word, don't merely love in talk, but love in deeds and in truth. Let your love be genuine, and the evidence of that genuine love will be action. True love is committed even when it's hard. Superficial love rolls out when things get a little difficult. Whereas hate characterizes the world, love characterizes the Christian life. Jealousy, anger, slander, lies, gossip, scheming, these are the ways of the world. Forgiveness, truth, selflessness, giving, these are the words by which we live by as those who have been bought by the sovereign creator of the universe. Where are you loveless toward your fellow Christians this morning? Friends, who are you refusing to forgive? Who are you angry at? Who have you been talking about behind their back? And who do you need to go to at the end of this service? Who do you need to grab by the hand and say, brother, sister, let's get lunch? Friends, Ephesians chapter 4, a chapter about unity within the body of Christ, Paul writes to those who have received new life in Christ, and he says that we should be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As you have been forgiven, you also forgive. Maybe you think you don't struggle with lovelessness. Well, since I've been in Ketchikan, I've experienced two extremes. Two extremes of lovelessness. First, there are those who claim to be loving, but they don't follow God's instruction. They'll tell you, oh, I'm a loving person, but they don't follow the Bible. The other extreme are those that champion sound theology, but they're unkind towards those whom they disagree over non-essential doctrines. Friends, I am here to lay before you that neither of these groups is faithfully living the Christian life. When asked what the greatest commandment is, our Lord responded to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The two are linked. You don't get to choose your favorite one. It's not I love God, but not man, or I love man and not God. They're together. It's been said that the love of Christian love should be like a tripod. This is not new to me. This is another pastor I heard say this this last week. The love of or Christian love should be like a tripod. We love God. We love his word and we love people. We are to love God, we are to love his instruction, and we are to love others. If you lack one of these three, the whole thing falls. But where have we heard that already in this sermon? Think back to Acts chapter 2. What did the early church do? They praised God, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And they loved one another. Praise God. Devote yourself to sound theology. And love those who bear the image of God. Especially the church as we saw in this text. Charles Spurgeon says, Love for God is obedience. Love for God is holiness. To love God and to love man is to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
and this is salvation, end quote. Christian love means refusing to be self-serving. Christian love is to be selfless. Have you seen this sticker that says, I am second? You see it on people's cars and stuff? You guys know what I'm talking about? No, it's like a movement, I am second. Well, one of my seminary professors, I remember back to my time in my grad work, said that that's actually wrong. It should say, I am third. If we read the Bible for what it says, it's God first, others second, and then me. So if you have been loveless towards the church this morning, please, I pray you repent of it and you turn and love the church as you are called to do. If you have been selfish with your possessions, seek to be generous. As we've already talked about, we don't own anything anyways. It's an old cliche, but it's true. There's no hearses with a luggage rack. None of it is yours. None of it is mine. If you have slandered your fellow Christian, confess to the one you have slandered, but also confess to the one you slandered too. In other words, if I talk trash on Josh Titus to Alan McDonald, I not only need to apologize to Josh, I need to apologize to Alan and beg for both their forgiveness. If you're holding a grudge against your brother, go, be reconciled to him or her. It's better as we read in the Bible, to leave your offering at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother in Christ. Paul tells the Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Walk worthy. You have received a new heart, free gift from God. Walk in a way that is worthy of that which you have received. But maybe the reason that you have lovelessness in your heart, maybe the reason you struggle with gossip and slander and grudge holding is because you do not actually belong to Christ. Friend, this morning, if you examine yourself, as the New Testament says, and you find yourself falling short, Maybe your greatest need right now is to turn to Christ. Friend, Jesus Christ, and I do not say these things as a check the box. I say them because they are essential. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is truly God. He bears all the attributes of God. Jesus Christ is truly man. He bears all the attributes of man. True man, not fallen man. One without sin. He walked a life with which he never sinned. Sin never had a landing pad in his heart. He never contemplated sin. And he was nailed to a cross for my sins. He was conceived. Think about the Apostles' Creed, if you know that. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. He descended to the grave. And on the third day, he arose again from the grave and ascended into heaven. All of those things I just said are essential to the Christian life. You must affirm them. You must affirm them. And if you have never affirmed them, I pray that you do today and you do what the Bible says and you repent and you believe. Believe that Christ is who he says he is and what he's done and repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from yourself and turn to Christ. 
And friend, if you've got a question about that, any question at all, I am completely and fully at your disposal. Please reach out to me. Grab me after this service. Call me, email me. You are the most important thing on my calendar this week. Know the love of Christ. It is the only way to know how to truly love others. We are called to follow his example because he completely loved the Father by obediently dying on a cross. He completely loved the church by dying for our sins. Whereas hate characterizes the world, love characterizes the church. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise your name. We praise your name just because of who you are. Sovereign, holy, creator of the universe. And God, we praise your name that you have loved us when we were unlovable. That while we were dead in sin, you sent forth your son at the appropriate time according to your will to die for our sins. Father, we praise your name. And God, we pray for those who are hearing my voice who have not trusted you. God, we pray that you would convict God, that you would grant them no sleep until they turn to you. God, be merciful to them. We pray that as a church, we would be a reflection of your love, that we would love one another. For those who are unrepentantly holding grudges in our midst, God, that you would break them of that and that they would confess that sin. All for your son's glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.